All right, now, I want you to go to Acts 2, but here's what I want you to talk about around your table. We're going to talk about power a little bit today. My question is, what's the greatest display of power that you've ever personally witnessed? Now, this could be a display of physical strength from somebody or uh, maybe something in nature or whatever has been remarkable to you. Now, here's what I'm going to say. No fair say in an Oklahoma tornado. All right. Uh, for two reasons, by the way, that's kind of the middle square on the bingo card in Oklahoma, right? And and secondly, it's May in Oklahoma. I don't want to give tornadoes any more due any more credit than they're due. Okay. So take a minute, talk about something powerful that you personally witnessed. Okay. Here we go. All right. What kind of power did you come up with? All right. That you personally saw. Wow, that was powerful. Yeah, Wayne. Niagara Oh, there's a great example of that. Niagara Falls. That I've not been there, but that's got to be just awesome and uh, impressive. The power coming over that place. All right. Uh, yeah, Sherman. Being on a cruise ship on the edge of a hurricane and watching the ocean. You don't believe God's powerful. Did that just happen to you? No, it was years ago. Okay, okay. All right. Matt, so you, you saw a hurricane out there. You saw the ocean just, I can't get the waves. Man, okay. While on a cruise ship, I see a hurricane. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um. I saw the power of God uh, work for my brother. Uh, he was in an ATV accident when he was like 16 and uh, was completely paralyzed on his left side. And now he's fully functional. That's this brother. Yes, that's this Amazing, Tim. Amazing. The power of God in healing. Karen? Um, I have been off of drugs for 15 years now. That's the power of God for sure. Wow, kid. Wow. How long ago did you and I meet? Uh, Ten, maybe? Oh, no. <laughs> okay, so like this wasn't long after that. Okay. God bless you. Wonderful. The power, uh, power, Edward, I'm sorry, Brad. Yeah. Everybody who remembers that there used to be an El Chico at Shepherd Mall. Yeah. I was walking through the kitchen one day with a power cord in one hand and a power tool on the other hand and got frozen in place by 110 power. Ooh. I was saying, unplug me, unplug me. Nobody understood English until the kitchen manager came in and saw what was going on about a minute and a half later and unplugged me. I, my heart had an arrhythmia before that. I have not had one since. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Wow. You don't want to try that, though. Yeah. Wow. Now, by the way, if if you've got a nine volt battery that needs to be charged, Brad can help you with that. So, yeah, Carol. I was in a head-on collision and saw it coming. We were four huh. cars stopped at the stoplight, and I looked up. You know, it all happened so quick. Go what? Here came a car. I don't know how fast he was going, but he hit all four of us. Oh my. And, and I passed out, I guess, woke up. The whole inside of my car, including the dash, was just untouched. No kidding. And he was, I was like a second car back. And 
and my front of my car looked like spaghetti. And that's, that's God. Mm -hmm. And you were unhurt. All of us. And there was a pregnant lady in this car wow. and she did just fine. Oh my goodness. Oh my but God. to see that coming is like, oh, yeah. I, mean, I, I think I just passed out. Yeah. <laughs> Power at work. That's what we're going to talk about from Acts 2. Uh, Steve Levin, have you go there in a minute, but let me give you a little bit of background. Now, um, uh, we read about in Luke, places like Luke 3, which was um, uh, Luke's former book, right? We said he wrote that, and then he wrote the book of Acts. Uh, we see the power of God, uh, the Spirit of um, the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove in, um, in Luke 3. Three. Now, by the way, um, it wasn't a dove, but it was like a dove. So we're going to talk about a couple things today that will, it will be like that, but it wasn't that, whatever that was, okay? We're going to see that in our, our story today. Um, um, and so we get a lot of this imagery of fire in the Bible uh, in places like Ezekiel and in 2 Peter. And usually it has to do with... Um, destruction of God's enemy, fire falling to destroy God's enemies, or uh, to um, purify God's people. Now we're going to see a little bit of that kind of power at work today, in uh, certainly here in Acts 2. And um, so what you and I need to recognize when we think about what they were going through on the first Pentecost Sunday is that, um, that the most important weekend okay, or week in Jewish life was the celebration of Passover. You and I know that it celebrated what um, the book of Exodus tells us about the passing over of the death angel, and literally the, the, um, the redemption of the nation of Israel, some two and a half million of them uh, uh, from Egypt uh, uh, back to the promised land. It took them a while to do that. Uh, but so Old Testament covenant people then, uh, they camped out uh, at Sinai to get the covenant um, God gives that to Moses, and um, uh, and they they begin to celebrate. So while they're there, even in the wilderness, they begin to celebrate Passover. And um, fifty days later, God gives them, or something like that, fifty or so days later, God gives them the law. So uh, just like that, Pentecost, the celebration of Pentecost in the Jewish calendar, happens seven weeks after Passover plus one day. Literally, the word means uh, uh, 50. It is sometimes, it's one of the great, three great pilgrimage festivals um, called, sometimes called the Festival of Harvest, sometimes called the Festival of Weeks, sometimes called the Day of First Fruits. Um, and so, if you read in, uh, in the New Testament especially, you'll read in the first verse of Mark 13 where they're just, they've gone to the uh, temple and they look and they're just jaw dropped at how beautiful the temple that had been rebuilt by Herod was. So you can imagine then if they're allowed or, or encouraged, if they're anywhere in, in uh, traveling distance to be in Jerusalem for Passover, that they might just, especially if they came from a long ways away, they might just stay 
those seven weeks and wait till Pentecost. And they planned then, many of them would plan to leave that next day, the 51st day, and go back home from wherever they came. Uh, there were, there, and so there would be people there from all over the world. As you can imagine then, as is true probably today, maybe in a greater degree even, um, the economy of Jerusalem centered on that beautiful structure, and it brought in a lot of money. Um, you might say that Jerusalem at the time had kind of a tourist economy, and the height of the tourist season was this 50 or so days. We're at the end now in our story today. We're at the end of that 50-day period, and we're in the the city is still teeming with people. And then this. Steve, if you'd pick it up, please, at Acts 2 and read the first eight verses. They are key to our understanding of how the church begins. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were saying to Jerusalem, God-fearing, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Okay, if you look at verse four from chapter one, and we talked about this a little bit last week, you'll recognize that they stayed in Jerusalem. Why? The 12. Because Jesus told them to. That's the main reason, right, Dan? Because Jesus said, I don't want you to get, uh, we looked at the ascension and he said, I'm leaving here, but I want you to stay here until the, what I've promised you comes. And so they stayed. Now, um, um, uh, as we said, people would plan um, to return the next day after the last day of the feast. But in the meantime, look at verse 14, they're all together in one place. They're, um, what do you suppose is going on there? Brad, can I get you to go over in just a minute to John 20, 19? We're going to hit there in just a second. What do you suppose they were doing for that 10 days or so as they were all together in one place? Uh, uh, that, it's interesting because I... I I began to think about that this week. So, um, uh, in fact, let's let Brad read what was going on in John 20. John 20, 19. Uh-huh. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors locked, their fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They're hiding then. I'm not so sure now post-resurrection appearances, post-40 days, Jesus says, 
I want you to do this. I'm going to send the power on you to take care of it. Uh, it just seems to me like it's a different gathering, I think. I, I wonder, 40 days later, uh, 50 days later, uh, that they had once gathered in seclusion and in fear and in security. Makes me wonder now if they're, um, uh, after having been around Jesus for 40 days, and being encouraged with them. If you remember, even last week when we studied uh, Acts 1 and, and the Ascension, they left there praising God. And we also have seen uh, that they were in the temple courts here and there. Uh, it makes me wonder if, um, but they're really going to grow some courage in this chapter. Um, but it's interesting here. They're gathered. Uh, if you read the rest of John 1, you realize they're gathered to, um, to um, kind of enlist, recruit, um, install the replacement for Judas so that there will be a full 12 uh, kind of around the, uh, around the circle. Uh, they're doing that. But I think they're doing at least two things, okay? I think. And I think I can stand on this. It's implied here. Not exactly here, but it's implied here. I think they prayed a lot. Jesus said something's coming. We're not sure exactly what that is, but we better pray about this. I think they prayed a lot. And I think they planned. Why would I say that? Because... At the end of the story that Steve read to us, you're going to recognize at the end of Acts 2, the church grows from, some will say 120, some will say 500. The church grows in a day, 3,000 more people. They had to be, and remember I said, many of them were from somewhere else and they don't go back. There had to be some planning in place take care of those people. Think about it. Um, I, I joked with you last week that, that two Sundays ago, I had 10 people in my house. That took some planning, some preparation, and lots of food. Can you imagine 3,000? Cindy? I have a question. As you've done your research, do you have, does anybody have a feel for how many people were here and received the Holy Spirit? Well, we know that Peter preaches to at least 3,000, and that may be just men and their families. So we know at least that. Um, um, the idea would be, though, that there were hundreds, thousands who stayed and were ex experienced what, we're getting, what Steve just uh, told us about. So it may have been tens of thousands, Cindy. Because they grow exponentially over the next several weeks uh, as you read the book of Acts. Michael? The, the Levites were not given any land and therefore had no way to produce food. Each of these festivals, rye, wheat, and grapes, and, and all that stuff, the first fruits of all those harvests came to Jerusalem at this time. So there was, everybody had to bring their first fruits. It was, it was mandatory. It wasn't a, you didn't get a reprieve. You couldn't, you couldn't not go. It was the feast of God, not the feast of Hebrews. And so that's how, that's how God fed the Levites. And so 
there is a all the the three major feasts are a Kind of an in-gathering, isn't it? In-gathering, so that they could give the first fruits and the Levites could then have food right. for the rest of the year. Right. Now, by the way, as a guy who's worked for 46 years as a Levite, I'm always kind of glad to hear those kind of stories. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, so I, I want you to not go with what you already think happened as we look in verse 2 and 3 uh, and beyond. Okay, you kind of you've heard this story before, likely, and you kind of think you know what happened. Let's uh, let's not have the benefit of of hindsight bias on this one. So, um, beginning with verse two, Luke documents three miracles. Now we'll look at two of them together in verse two and three, and then we'll skip ahead and look at another one in verse seven and eight. But okay, so um, in verse two. There was some kind of an auditory disturbance. Now, um, there was a sound. Where did it come from? Well, here it says it came from heaven, I think, didn't it? Verse 2. Did I catch that? Suddenly there, uh, there came from heaven a noise. Okay, so we, um, Dan, I kind of agree with you. We kind of don't know, but it says here it came from heaven. So this was a godly, this was a, a divine disturbance of some kind, auditory disturbance, um, like a rushing mighty wind. But we don't get the sense that it parted everybody's hair. There wasn't the wind. There was a sound like a rushing mighty wind. So this is... Um, this is uh, for every story that you've heard of a tornado survivor. It's, I heard a train, right? But it's not really a train, right? It's not really a train. It sounds like a train. There's a sound like a wind. It's like something they've never heard before. It was divine. It was from heaven. Um, and it really, it was disturbing and loud. But... It wasn't a wind. It was like a wind. So catch that for a second. All right. So they heard the wind, but they didn't feel it. And then the second thing, look at verse three, a visual. So there was an auditory disturbance and then a visual phenomenon. Okay. What seemed to be, if I read the, the language right, and I'm just going with the English Bible here, what seemed to be fire. But it didn't injure anybody. It didn't uh, hurt anybody. Um, but it did, stick with me here, burn them. Remember Luke 24? We looked at it two or three weeks ago. Remember Luke 24 on that first resurrection Sunday when the guys had walked with Jesus on the way to Emmaus, and they didn't know it was him until he kind of was revealed at dinner, and then he left. And they, on the way back, said, didn't our hearts burn within us? There's a burning here that's not an injurious burning. It's an empowering burning. Okay? Have you ever... Um, you ever been involved in something? Maybe you heard a tremendous talk or um, uh, a sermon or um, a leadership address, and you said, man, that fired me up. OK? 
Okay. There was something like fire involved in this. It seemed to be like fire, but it didn't injure them. It just fired them up. And then in verse 4, what I'm going to call here the main event. Now, uh, we can read in places, I put references to Numbers 11. There's an interesting thing that happens uh, uh, in, in Numbers. Um, um, uh, there are a bunch of, of um, uh, elders of the nation of Israel gathered, and the Spirit falls on, on, them, on them, and they all begin to prophesy. And then it says, it went away. Uh, um, in Samuel 10.10, 10, uh, there, there is a prophetic moment for King Saul as the spirit falls on him temporarily and then it went away. If you read the stories in, um, in the book of Judges about somebody like S Samson, for instance, it was, really the source of Samson's strength wasn't his hair, it was his vow. And that all was, if, if you can read about it, every time he did a mighty act, the Spirit of God came upon him and. You can read about David, the Spirit of God came upon him and. He did some uh, miraculous thing. So what you've got to understand is uh, what happened in Acts 2 isn't the beginning of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't born here. He's always been, always will be. It wasn't that he came here for the first time because he came a lot in the Old Testament. Maybe not as much as they wanted them to, but when he came, it was sporadic and it was temporary. Because of what Jesus promised in John 14 and John 16, in Acts 2, he comes to stay in the hearts of men and women who believe, like you. What a powerful thing. So, uh, the main event here is an enabling. It's not the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's his coming to stay. And it's graphic here. And Laura? I don't think that would have happened without the cross and the ascension. Because when Jesus was here, he was God in the flesh. He said, when I go away, it's going to be good for you. Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to send another comforter. This is the fulfillment of that. You're right. Now, look at verse 4. So here's the, uh, uh, we, we just looked at verse 4. So the idea, the third miracle is then the hearing of the message in verse 5 and 6. Uh, if, if I understand the language, and Paul, you've done a lot more of the study of the, the Greek language here than I have, but I've done a little bit of it. Uh, the miracle wasn't in speaking, the miracle was in hearing. Uh, the miracle was they heard them as they spoke, but they heard them in their own language. This is a multilingual gathering uh, according to the, and you can look at the, uh, the beginning about verse 9 down through 13. You can look at all the nations that were gathered here. It was a multilingual gathering. There were every nation from kind of around there. Um, I had a um, I've got several treasured pictures on my phone. Uh, some of my international friends have now left. Finals were last week. They've left. My office door has been a revolving door the last couple of weeks. The guy's coming to tell me goodbye. And I got a text from, from the south of France this week from the best goalkeeper I've ever met. And I don't know much about goalkeeping, but Jeremy Arbonnell is really good. 
And he will now be playing D1 next year. He's not coming back to us. But he wants to stay connected. So he said to me, do you have WhatsApp? Now, anybody in the room have WhatsApp? Okay, somebody, you guys are so smart. I'm not smart at all. But, but um, I'll get WhatsApp because I want to keep up with Jeremy. Now, I want to keep up with Ricardo, who's going back, who is now back in Portugal. Because WhatsApp, you can do it, at, I guess, through the Internet, and it doesn't cost you, it doesn't cost you uh, minutes or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to do that. But there's no WhatsApp involved in this. In fact... In fact, those who are gathered from all over, the, all over the known world, as Peter and his associates began to talk, maybe 120 of them, there was this thing going on where everybody was hearing them. They were speaking uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, whatever, and they're hearing them in their own language. That's kind of incredible. Um, that's the hearing of the message here. But as you look at verse 7 and 8, I want to be sure we don't miss that miracle. Okay? Um, I, I think this is interesting. Rhonda, you go to Matthew 26, 73. And read that for us. It's right at the end of Matthew's gospel. It's just interesting. This is one of those things, one of those times when Peter got himself in trouble because he had kind of momentarily defected. And one of the things that got him in trouble was his accent. Matthew 26, 73. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly, you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. These guys are talking in a Galilean accent. And they're hearing them in Latin and Greek and Arabic. Wow. Wow. That's the miracle. Don't miss that. Now, uh, as we go on, we're going to skip ahead. So verse 9 through 13 talks about kind of a roll call of all the nations that were involved here. Uh, People were coming from here and from here and from here and from here. That's kind of what that's all about. And then when we pick up the story in verse 14, Cindy, I'm going to have, I'm going to come back to you if I can and have you read 14 down through 24. Um, As they begin... Peter begins, he, he sees this gathering, everybody's scratching their head, and Peter says, okay, it's time for me to talk. And he addresses this crowd, and the first thing he does, and you can put this in your blank, he dismisses the charge of drunkenness. My question is, uh, what time you got to start drinking if you're drunk by 9 a.m.? Uh, that was kind of the, that was Peter's rhetorical pushback to them. Uh, Cindy, you go to verse 14 and read down through 24. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. 
the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Isn't it interesting that verse 24 begins with, but God? Isn't it interesting also, if, if we looked at it a little bit ago, Rhonda read about uh, a time when Peter had kind of lost his courage. Isn't it interesting that he's gotten it back, and even more so? Uh, he goes right to the heart of the issue. Now, he invokes here uh, Joel 2, verse 28 down through 32, and as I reread it this week, he quotes it pretty well uh, verbatim here. He spoke, um, he spoke to them from, uh, from the book of Joel, who was going to be from 700 or so B.C., and he's going to say in verse 16 that what Joel spoke of um, has come about. What you and I need to understand is that if that was spoken in 700 B.C., and if the Old Testament closed at about 400 B.C. or so, it's been a long time since, um, since prophecy has occurred in, to this degree. And this promise that was promised 700 years ago has come about, and Peter's going to say, I know it's been a long time in coming, but it's here. Uh, he's gonna move, Peter's going to move from what this wasn't, it's not a bunch of people drunk, to what it was, and he's going to say, this is what Joel talked about in 700 B.C. Now, in verse 17, I want, I want to catch this really quick. Uh, if you'll go back and read Joel 2, and you hear it pretty much verbatim quoted here, the prophet spoke of the final days of human history. And he's going to say, Peter's going to say here, he's going to quote Joel, and then he's going to say, that final chapter of human history starts today. What does that mean? We are in the final chapter of human history. I don't think we need to wait for something else to happen. And, and by the way, I say that not flippantly because there are a lot of people who write a lot of books and a lot of people get really interested in reading all kinds of other, other prophetic things that I don't think I need to kind of wring my hands over. 2,000 years ago, Peter says, this is the final chapter. It, all the pieces are now in place, he says. Uh, isn't it interesting that Russia is back in the picture uh, for those who think they know biblical prophecy? I think it's interesting. And what I need to do is kind of be concerned with what has been spoken to me that I need to do with. But it's clear here that I don't need to wait for anyone else to show up. I don't need to wait for yet another appearance of anything. Um, the last days 
or the last segment of history is here. Now, what I want you to hear me say, the Bible is really clear, okay? History is going somewhere. It will have a dramatic conclusion, and none of us know when that's going to be. You know, none of us know when it's going to be. So, there is in verse 18 that Joel predicted it. It's happening there. It happens here. There's the return of biblical prophecy. So, uh, the idea, there hadn't been any prophets for 400 years. Now, Joel says, and Peter says, you're getting ready to witness it. There will be a deluge of prophecy. All right. And in verse 19, 20, and 21, there are a lot of kind of what I would call apocalyptic images. Now, good luck spelling that. I know how, but I'm not going to tell you how. Um, uh, uh, and, and kind of the reference here is back to Matthew 24. Uh, Jesus sees some of these things in Matthew 24. John sees them in, um, in um, the book of Revelation. And, um, and Peter says this is part of the fulfillment of that prophecy. So, um, by the time we get to verse 22, Peter's talking about the resurrection and he's talking about all these things and he says, God did it. God did it. And in fact, he uses three words in sequence that are used in other places. The words, miracles, wonders, and signs. We see that in 6, 8. We see it in Romans 15, 19. We see it in Romans and Hebrews 2, 4. We see it in other places in the Gospels. Miracles, wonders, and signs. But be careful here because he who performs the signs is God himself. Never somebody else. It's always God himself. He was the source of all that. And then he begins to give this kind of, in verse 23 and 24, he talks about kind of the indictment of what happens. And he says, but God, but God, but God. Now, if you just kind of scan verse 37, 38, 39, let me land the plane. Peter preaches this message. And according to verse 37, they were cut to the heart. What does that mean? There was, they were exposed. They were moved by all this. And they said to him, so what's next? What do we do? I love that he was prepared to tell them what's next. And he says two things, repent and be baptized. Now, let me talk about that for a minute because I'm going to use two theological words for you right here. They were, he, he says to them, you need to be justified and you need to be sanctified. So the, the idea here is you need to be set right, repentance. And then you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Repent, be baptized, be sanctified. It's kind of implied in some of that right there. The idea here is not only be forgiven and set right, but then be given the power which the Holy Spirit just brought in this story to uh, resist future sin, to continue to live right. Isn't it wonderful to think about that, that God has given us the power not only to be forgiven, the Holy Spirit's involved in that too, but then he, he comes inside you to keep you 
focused on him. Um, uh, Even in Isaiah, it's going to say he's coming and he's going to whisper in your ear, go this way, not that way. That happens to me every day. So my question is here, where do you most need to allow the spirit to take control? He came here. What are you going to do about it? Let me give you a quote that I want you to want you to kind of think about. Vance Havner. Ron and I sat this morning and read 20 Vance Havner quotes. He just had a way of cutting across lots of things. In fact, I sent you one by email if you can find it. Um, here's, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but here's what he said. This is an indictment. And I'm not talking about our church. Okay, but here's what he said. If the Holy Spirit were to withdraw from today's churches, most of them, most of their work would go on unhindered. Can I read that again? If the Holy Spirit were to withdraw from today's churches, most of their work would go on unhindered. You know what that means? That means too much of what we do, we're trying to do in our own strength. When right here at Acts 2, we were given the power. Let him help us make the decisions. Let him empower the good works that we do. That's kind of the idea. Now, Ron, did you find that other quote? I'd love to hear the other Vance Havner quote that I wanted us to close with today. We are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited lives ignited by the Spirit of God. Okay, hang on to it. We're not going to change this world by criticizing the world or by conforming to it. We're only going to change this world by the combustion of the Spirit within us. I love that word combustion. It's right here in Acts 2. And guess what? It's right here in this room if I'll just surrender to it. Have a great Sunday. Brother Paul's going to lead us next week. We're going to be in Hebrews 11 again next week. Okay. Abraham and his troublesome wives. I can't wait for that. I'll see you.